And welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. I'm Tanner Dimling here with y'all as always. Um, first and foremost, do want to apologize. I know the last podcast, for whatever reason, uh, I- I'm guessing it was an, an, an internet connection um, issue, uh, but the full episode did not upload of the of the. What was it the Big East? And it cut off like at the very end when I was talking about St. John's, um, which is the last thing I talked about for like briefly. And so the last, I think it was three minutes that got cut off <clears throat> for whatever reason um, that got cut off. So apologize on that. Um, we did have some internet problems because of the terrorist attack in Nashville. Uh, we have AT&T here, I'm here in Louisville, and I actually did, because I recorded that episode on Sunday, late, and there was, there was some internet connection issues. On Later that day on Sunday, I get a text message from AT&T saying, as a result of the bomb hitting an AT&T, it was a, a server or store or whatever that it was across the street from, the AT&T service in Kentucky even here two hours away in Louisville, was spotty because of that. Um, obviously not as bad as what the people in Nashville have had to uh, go through with many people displaced um, due to living in the area. And you know, I, I, I think they still don't have internet in parts of the city. Um, <clears throat> obviously we did not have that and everything's back up and running now, but um, do apologize for the... Uh, Issues on the last podcast shouldn't be any on this one as we get into the CAA. And the first thing that you have to mention with the CAA this year, excuse me, is that it's going to be different. And it will be different for a multitude of reasons. First and foremost, Every team will make the CAA tournament in 2021. So that that means, like, literally, we could see any team get hot in May or late April, early May, see a team get hot, and take that auto bid. I don't know what the NCAA tournament's going to look like. I think the D3 tournament has shrunk. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't seen anything from Division One yet on spring, so we'll see what it looks like. But I'm assuming it'll be normal. And if it is normal, the CAA, the no, the Big East has been the bracket buster for multiple years now with teams like Marquette. The CAA could very, very well be the bracket busting conference this year in 2021. <clears throat> Excuse me again there. Um, so that is interesting. And that is something different that uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic and everything has brought upon the CAA. And obviously, every conference will be dealing with um, the pandemic and uh, the virus and everything that comes with that in terms of testing and all of that. Hopefully, we're back to normal by May. Um, but things will be different at least at the beginning of the season, uh, as I've talked about uh, multiple times. 
And the second thing I do want to hit on before we get started here is that the CAA, I don't know if there's a, I don't have a list exactly of all the teams that returned guys for fifth years, but if you're going to tell me a conference outside of the Big, outside of the Big Ten and the uh, ACC that returned more impact players, it's the CAA. And you could you could say um, on a percentage basis across the conference, the CAA has returned more impact seniors from last year's teams uh, than any other conference in the country. And that is a very, very, very important fact to remember when looking at this conference this year. Because we, and like I mentioned, with the tournament, everybody making it, we're going to see some parity in this conference um, that I don't think we've seen. And the CA is always has parity in it. It seems like they have the most parity. Uh, but we could see some more craziness in terms of parity in this conference. Um, and maybe some teams really separate themselves like a UMass, um, who we're going to get into here in just a second because they return. Uh, they return a ton of dudes from last year's squad. And when I mean a ton of dudes, I mean a absolute boatload of impact players that were seniors last year are coming back for this UMass squad. And they're not the only team, as I mentioned. Um, the CA has got a ton of them. But UMass, I think, has the most impact returners. And that... You know they haven't. They have not made a championship weekend run since 2006. Could this be the year they make a championship weekend run? You know, coming into the season, I'm not really putting them as a team that could or should. But again, as I mentioned, with this year, with everything that's going on with a, with and around this season, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, if any team's going to come out of the CAA and make a championship weekend run, it certainly looks like UMass. So let's dive deep, uh, a little deeper into the Minutemen here, as just like the uh, previous two, uh, just like the previous episodes, I will be uh, kind of deeply analyzing the top two teams in the conference, uh, two or three and then uh, kind of glossing over the rest of the conference as well as giving some uh, anecdotal things from each of those teams and naming a dark horse and then also putting my uh, projected order of finish uh, when the season, uh, projected order of finish uh, heading into the postseason as well. That will be coming at the end of this show. So let's get in. A little deeper into the UMass Minutemen. So, Greg Canella returns, a, as I mentioned, a really, really good squad uh, this year. You know, possibly the only team in the CAA, I think, that has the talent to make a deep, deep playoff run. And, um, you know, the majority, I mentioned a lot of fifth-year guys coming back, the majority of those impact guys are on the offensive end. You have Jeff Trainer coming back. He had 14 goals, six assists last season at the midfield spot. Also, Billy uh, Philpot, I believe is how you pronounce his name, 
a midfielder coming back for the fifth year as well. 14 goals to assist last season. Those two guys coming back will be the face of the franchise, if you will, on the offensive end. Um, Blaze Trainer was the leader in points for this team uh, last season, and uh, Philpott was you know, not far off at all. Um, he was a top three guy as well. Uh, so those two guys are ones to certainly, certainly watch at the midfield spot with this UMass team. And this UMass midfield, you know, they don't get enough ink, I think, as over the past couple seasons that they should have. There's a pretty deep unit. And Trainer and Philpott are obviously the top two guys, but there's some, you know, some younger guys coming up uh, that we could certainly see maybe break out or whatever this season. Chris Connolly, Gabriel uh, Posick, I believe is how you pronounce that name. Again, I'm bad at names. I butcher a lot of them, so apologies. Um, those are the top two guys on attack. <clears throat> Connolly was a stud last year for this team. He was, I think he was the second points as I pull up their stats here right now. But I know uh, he was their top, their top guy at the attack spot and should be again this year. So, yes, uh, Conley was their top guy, top scorer overall um, at the attack spot. Um, and then also <clears throat> mentioned Kevin Tobin. Uh, junior midfielder is also uh, returning, obviously, as a junior. Connolly, Tobin are both juniors, or were juniors last year, or seniors this year. Uh, Prosik was a sophomore last year, uh, coming out of British Columbia. And then you had uh, Trainer and Philpot, who are returning. Also, do want to mention Mike Tobin, um, who the younger brother of Kevin, um, at the attack spot. I don't know if you're gonna put if they're gonna start him at that third attack spot. Um, I know Devin Spencer is also coming back. He had a really good sophomore year. Uh, he was really, really productive, young in his career, and has kind of dropped off over the past two seasons. Uh, but it looks like from a statistical and just looking at what they did last year, um, it would be Tobin, Mike, the uh, younger of the Tobin brothers. And then Spencer, Devin Spencer, uh, for that last attack spot. Um, if, if, if another freshman doesn't, uh, if a freshman or someone else doesn't uh, take that, I would expect either of those two to take that third attack spot alongside Conley and Pro Six. So this is a UMass offense that, you know, they may not get a lot of uh, ink, may not get a lot of hype, but they're still a pretty dang good unit. And, uh, you know, they put up a lot of points last season. I think there was only only two games. So they, they beat Ohio State 9-7, to kind of a defensive battle. And they lose to Harvard 10-9. to Other than that, they're double digits uh, every single game. They you know, they had that unbelievable win against Albany, 17-12. Uh, to And then, well, they, well, yes, against Army. That first game of the season, um, now remembering they lost 17-4. to So other than that, in the, so the first three games were not specifically good offensively. But after that, you know, UMass Lowell went 11-9. to 
against Yale. They upset Yale 13-10, beat Albany 17-12, beat LIU 14-10. So this is an offense that returns a lot. We know they can score. They can score certainly in bunches, and I expect them to do just the same um, this season. And, you know, they probably are one of the most experienced uh, offenses in the conference, if not the entire uh, Division One, And then also, you can't talk about UMass without talking about their defense because that has been the bread and butter of this team. That has been the identity of this team for multiple years now. Um, the past two, three years, defense has been their bread and butter. And I don't think that's going to change at all this year. Um, Jackson Suboch uh, comes back again. I butcher names. Um, he comes back for the fifth year. And you know, he was, and, and this is a, a, a defense overall that is going to be a bit younger at close again this season. They were pretty young at close last year. Uh, but a sub coach coming back as a fifth year guy, I think, gives them a lot, a lot more experience on that back end. And then also a guy I'm excited about for this UMass team is Hunter Newman. Bucknell transfer, LSM. If y'all remember what Isaac Papalo was, if y'all know what gorilla ball means, playing gorilla ball, when, you know, gorilla ball, garbage gorillas, right? You play gorilla ball at UMass. You win those battles in between the boxes. That is what Isaac Papalo did. Isaac Papalo was the straw that stirred the drink of this UMass team from back to front at the LSM spot a few years ago when they challenged Maryland in the NCAA tournament. What was that, 2019? And so last year, the big question was, well, who's going to step up and be this big LSM guy? You know, to be frank, I don't think they ever really found that. There was some guys that I think did step in, Dan O'Brien, Jack Gump, I thought played well, but none of them, and Isaac Papalo is a, is a very, very good player. No one's going to step in and fill his shoes uh, or be what he was, but I think Newman can be pretty dang close to what Papalo was. Um, the Patriot League last year, had a really, really good crop of LSMs. You talk about up at Boston U, and I saw it in person. Uh, Lise Eddy and Chase Leveske both killing it in the pro game uh, over the summer. And, I mean, they were, I thought they were one and two in terms of best in the Patriot League. And Newman was that third guy at Bucknell. Uh, he's a guy who can put the ball on the carpet. He can kill you in transition as well. He runs the field well. A, I always use this. T- I stole this term from basketball. Obviously, a unicorn type player is what I like to see at that LSM position. And when you're talking about a team like uh, UMass that wants to win in between the boxes, having a guy like Newman on your team is pretty, pretty important. Um, so I think he's a humongous addition to this team. Maybe bigger than some people even realize. Um, Matt Note. Matt Note, big, 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 big guy coming back in cage. 
he was a, was he a freshman last year? Yeah, he was a freshman last year. Cameron Carpenter was the starter coming into the season. Matt and Oak, you know, presumed starter because uh, he was the starter in 2019. Matt Note comes in and starts, and he had an absolute, um, he had an absolute just phenomenal performance. Obviously, you know, when you look at his stats, the first couple games, you had Note and Carpenter both playing um, against Army, and then Note kind of takes over after that, um, even though he allowed 15 goals, but he stepped it up against Ohio State, had 16 saves, holding them to seven goals, and then the rest of the season is pretty much history, and I think everyone remembers uh, his performance against Yale, 12 saves against the Bulldogs, uh, you know, about 55% there, and while Yale, I think, in that game had the edge with Jack Stahl and Bodie Wilson both playing in cage, Matt Note. To me, that was his coming out party and saying, okay, I'm here. I'm ready for the stage. I, I'm, I'm the guy. And him coming back, and I mentioned this defense is a bit younger, and he's a piece of that. He, he is a piece of that. Um, I think he should be just as good as he was last year, if not better, after having at least how many games they play last year. They were 5-2, and two, so having at least seven games under his belt uh, should be a pretty big thing for him coming into 2021. And I'm, I'm not saying he's the, no, I'm not saying he's the best goalie in the country, but he's, uh, you know, I'd be hard-pressed for me to say he's not the best goalie in the CAA. Looking at the production of some of these other goalies uh, from last season coming into the 2021 season, Um uh, and then, you no, know, always got to talk about the face-off dot. Zach Holman was a freshman. Another, I mentioned some of these younger guys making plays last year for UMass. He was another guy, 59% at the dot. So this is a UMass squad that they were a bit younger in certain areas last season, but still had a ton of experience. They returned most of that experience with uh, seniors being able to come back for a fifth year. This is head and shoulders the best team in the conference. So UMass is clearly head and shoulders the best team, as I said. Now let's get into a bit of, and I I do think I do, um, I was talking to someone just yesterday about this, and I was saying, you know, the CAA this year is kind of, and I think college lacrosse in general this year will be a bit like college football in the power structure where we see, you know, Alabama in college football is head and shoulders above everybody else. And then you have a, a middle of the pack, which is good, you know, but might not be able to compete with that top. Just, you know, on any given day, you know, one, 9 out of 10, you know, Alabama would win against some of those other teams. And I think that's probably true in the CAA. Obviously, lacrosse is a different game, and we'll see what happens, but... I do think that is kind of a similar structure in the CAA in, in college across in general this year, just because of the teams that were able to take advantage of fifth years and teams that weren't. So UMass head and shoulders the best team in the conference. That middle of the pack, though, is still really good. And 
I you know right now for me, I look at the top of that middle pack as two teams, Delaware and then Drexel. And I would put Towson into that unit as well. And then you could put Hofstra. Like that's kind of how that's how little the separation between those teams are at the moment. Delaware, you know, I think if any team is going to win the CAA, that, and I mentioned the tournament, and we'll see what happens. Anyone could win it, essentially. But if anybody's going to knock off UMass, I think Delaware has the, has the best. Delaware's the best bet in that category. Um, and since Ben DeLuke has been there, they've been phenomenal. No, they have not made the NCAA tournament in quite some time. However, again, with the uh, the new CAA tournament, well, not new, but how what they're doing it this year, you know, we could see an uptick. Uh, we could see an uptick in number of CAA teams that get in. So let's say UMass has one loss, and the one loss is to Delaware in the championship game. So Delaware gets that auto bid. CAA gets two teams in. That's what I'm talking about, how there could be a bracket buster. And I think Delaware would be that one team that does, that could get in, that could beat UMass. Um, So we'll see what happens. And, you know, they had a 10-win season in 2019. People don't realize that's their first 10-win season since 2011. They went 11 and 7 that year. They went 10 and 5 and finished third in the CAA in 2019. They were 4 and 2 on the season, uh, adjourned last season, obviously early. Coming into this season, obviously defense has been the major, major uh, identity of this team. Be in most in most part because of one man and one man only. Matt DeLuca. No relation to Ben DeLuca, by the way. I get that question all the time. No relation. Matt DeLuca, last year, was outstanding. And we saw what he did over the summer um, with the Water Dogs, I believe, in the PLL. He's like almost, he's not seven foot, but he's almost seven foot. He's like six, was he six, six, something like that? He takes up a big chunk of the cage. Now, he's gone, and that's obviously a huge loss, and I'm not exactly sure who they're going to replace him with, to be honest with you, to be quite frank, because you're talking about replacing, and he was one of the best goalies in the country. He's going to be difficult to replace. Can we repeat that? He's going to be difficult to replace. And, I, and, you know, difficult is probably an understatement. You know, he was the identity of this team, essentially the face of the franchise for the past few seasons. Replacing him is going to be huge. But while they do have that problem, and they do have that challenge, they do return some really, really good players. And I, I know a lot of people have who've talked to me about Delaware this offseason have said, like, hey, and they always want to bring up, you know, they're losing to Luca. I don't know what they're going to do. But you look at the guys they have coming back, 
and it's still a very, very good squad. Um, Owen Grant and Tate Watson both return it close, as well as LSM slash defenseman Ryan Shaw coming back for the fifth season. So essentially, your entire close defense is back. On the offensive end, you got one Charlie Kitchen back. He's been outstanding um, during his time there. He had 27 points last year. It was tied for first on the team with sophomore Ty Coates, uh, both uh, at that midfield spot, by the way, I believe. Um, oh, excuse me, Kitchen's an attackman. Um, and Coates is an attackman, meaning attackman, uh, for, for both of those guys. Um, so you have both those guys back. And then you have uh, Mike, Rob- Mike Robinson back as well, who was the third leading scorer last season. So essentially, your entire starting attack returns. They also get this guy. And I'm really, really excited about this guy. Really excited about this guy. Justin Scott. He's a Hobart grad transfer. And, you know, he is... I think he's listed as an attackman slash midfielder. But he has absolutely uh, killed... Like, he has... And obviously, there's some other dudes up there that have really been more of the face of that Hobart squad the past couple seasons. But he's been right there in the mix for like a top score uh, role there. Um, he And he played attack and midfield. I, I imagine they put him at midfield um, at Delaware. And you know one of the questions is how strong is the midfield going to be because their attack is so heavy, um, is so good. I do think what that midfield is exactly going to look like is a question. And, you know, where's, where does Scott fit in, I think, is a question. But he's so versatile, I think you could really fit him in anyway. Um, they also get Jake Hovada back for sixth season at the faceoff dot. He went 50% last year. And he's developed very well. I believe it was 2018 or 2019, one of those years, he was out with an injury comes back, and um, he's absolutely killed it when he's played. I uh, mentioned he's, ha- he's had an injury history, but when he's played, and he, I think last year was his best season, I can't exactly remember what his numbers were. Um, I don't have the full stats put up here anymore. Just exited out of those, to be honest with y'all. Um, but he, 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 was, he was really good last year and uh, should be – a, you know, another good season for him here in 2021. So, you know, Delaware is certainly, you know, they lose DeLuca, and that's a big, big loss. Like, that's a huge loss. But I do think what they get back on attack and then the implementation of Scott, Justin Scott, into that offense from Hobart, you're gonna see this. You might. This might be the best Delaware offense that we've seen in quite some time. Their defense. You return the whole close essentially, but I do have the questions in cage. You know, I get that. I understand that, and that's a that's a question mark. That's a, that's a red flag. I think for me, for most teams, uh, when I see they don't know what they're gonna do in cage, that's an automatic red flag for me. But what they have coming back on the offensive end 
and in front of the cage, I think is so good that it doesn't it not that it doesn't matter who they put back there, um, but I think any of the uh, reserve goalies from last season could step in and take over and be pretty successful. Uh, and like this again, I mentioned if any team is going to challenge Delaware. Oh, excuse me, if any team is going to challenge UMass, it is going to be Delaware. Like, it is going to be Delaware if any team is going to challenge UMass for that CAA crown here in 2021. All right, so moving on from the Hens. And looking at some potential, I would call these two teams dark horses, Drexel, and Towson. Um, <clears throat> starting with Drexel first here. So the Dragons, they've had some success recently. Um, they turned some heads late in 2019 when they upset UMass in the CAA semifinals. They gave Towson a run for their money uh, in that title game. And they looked really, really good last year. Pretty solid. in the. Uh, I wouldn't say really, really good. I would say solid is a better term. Um in the shortened 2020 season. And, uh, you know, while the CAA, I mentioned, is going to be a tough conference with so many fifth-year guys coming back, Drexel has a ton of talent and experience to be able to make a run potentially and certainly get back to that, uh, to the final four in the CAA um, again, I will mention the CAA. Every single team makes the conference tournament. So um, you're going to have to make that final four. You can't just, oh, we're going to win all uh, enough games and we're going go to the, go to the conference tournament. You've got to earn that title spot more than ever this season. Um, so, you know, the, and, and, and Drexel, to be honest, certainly has the talent to be a dark horse candidate that really comes out of nowhere. Um, I called them a few weeks ago, um, was it last week or two weeks ago, an article on lacrossebucket.com under the radar teams to watch, and Drexel was on on that list because they are a quote-unquote on the national level an underrated team to watch here in 2021. Um, And they, I mentioned a lot of fifth-year guys back. Matthew Varian coming back at the attack spot. He had seven goals, 19 assists. Reed Bowering, uh, who's going to be a star in the NLL. Uh, I can't remember who drafted him, but he got drafted. Um, one of the best box players uh, coming out uh, in the recent the recent drafts. Um, 20 goals, three assists last year. And then a guy that I love to watch. And um, I think a lot of coaches, when they saw this guy was coming back in the CAA, a lot of coaches, a lot of CAA coaches, hung their heads and said, this guy again, Colin Mailman. Colin Mailman. The mailman delivers. Um, 12 goals, 2 assists last year. One of the best off-ball players in the conference. Uh, very, very exciting to watch him play. And you have, you know, Bowling's more of a shooter, but Valian is a good, really good feeder. So you got those two. Those two good shooters there with Valian, who's a good passer. And um, th- this is an offense that is pretty scary. And they're going to get the ball a lot because Jemiah Kota, 
is coming back for the fifth season as well. I think I mentioned Valian and Bowling are both coming back for fifth uh, for fifth years, um, and then Mailman Mailman's back for the fifth year as well. I can't remember if he was a junior or a senior last year. But he was a senior uh, last season. Um, so they're all coming back for the fifth year, as well as Kota, who was he's been around fifty percent his entire career. Um, he's one of the best face-off men in the CAA. Um, I I it's after with Alex Woodall gone at Towson. This is the second year post Woodall. I think Coach is probably the best guy in the CAA, to be honest with y'all. And then Voss uh, Blanthmental, uh, I believe is how you pronounce it. Again, I'm bad with pronunciations. Was around 50% in cage last season. Um, and he you know, he had a stellar freshman year. He had a stellar sophomore, a partial sophomore campaign. So we'll see what he does again here in 2021. Uh been, I mean, he stepped in, was a starter as a freshman, so was a starter as a, as a sophomore. So his junior year, his time to shine, they've got a loaded roster. You know, this is certainly a team to uh, watch out for, a team that could make some noise um, in the CAA and on the national landscape. Now, the team that I know everyone knows and everyone loves to talk about in this conference, they've been the, they've been the top dog in this conference for a while. And, but they weren't last year. Uh, that's the Towson Tigers. So Towson, we don't know, came into last season. You know, they gave they took Maryland overtime in the first round of the 2019 NCAA tournament, and they lose that game. That image of Jared Bernhardt, who is coming back, by the way, if y'all haven't seen that. No, I think he like jumps across the crease, like literally over across the crease and just puts it away for the game winner. Like that image, it's a gift. You look up Jared Bernhardt or Maryland Lacrosse on uh, on Twitter on the gift thing, or just get a gift app or whatever, and it, it's like a gift that goal's been made into a gift. I it, it's stuck in my head. That's the first thing I think of. When I think of Jared Bernhardt, I believe it was Jared Bernhardt that made that goal. I might be mistaken, but I believe it was him. And so they they lose in overtime against Maryland in, in 2019 in the first round. And, you know, they come into 2020, number 17 in the nation. Um, and everyone knew, okay, this is a young team. They lose Woodall. They lose Sunday. They lose, who else? A bunch of guys on offense. And they lost a lot of guys. Didn't live up to that number seventeen, uh, that number seventeen ranking at all. They end the season zero and six. Um, and in addition to the awful record, the Tigers were tied with Lafayette and Binghamton as the 69th best offense in the nation, averaging seven goals per game. They were seventy second in shooting percentage uh, out of seventy five teams. I think it's seventy four teams this year. Twenty two percent. They shot 22%, um, and they were tied with Penn for the 57th best defense in the nation, allowing 14 goals per game, and they were 72nd in the face in faceoff percentage at 30%. That's terrible. That is terrible, terrible, terrible. But after, and I've talked about this before multiple times, 
you know, after spending the season in the basement, essentially, of college lacrosse, um, the Tigers look more than capable of bouncing back and at least competing amongst the top tier in the CAA. Um, as, you know, they have for pretty much the better part of a decade since joining the conference. Um, you know, and, you know, as usual, it will be the defense that, 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 that does lead the way for this Towson team. Uh, you have Kobe Smith coming back at defense. I think he's a top three defenseman in the country, if not top five. Uh, I should say top five, if not top three. Um, Shane Brennan, who is back for the fifth season as well. So both those guys are back for fifth years. Shane Brennan stepped in last year. I think that was last year his first year starting uh, in cage. I believe it was because they had Canto before him. Shane Brennan gets that start last year. And he was good. Like, I don't think the team around him was good. I think him, well, Canto was a senior last year, so Brennan hopped him. Um, but I don't, like, I don't think Brennan was bad. I don't think Kobe Smith was bad. I don't think either of those guys were necessarily bad. I think the team around them was bad, um, which didn't obviously never helps when you have two talented guys. So I am full belief of those two that they can help lead this defense. Um, now, on the, I mentioned the defense looks promising with those two guys. That's not the only spot that looks promising to me as far as Towson is concerned in 2021. They returned four of the top five point getters from last season, which includes fifth-year returnee Brody McLean, had nine goals and three assists last season to lead the team in points at the attack position. Austin Stewart also returns, who was an attackman last year as a sophomore and really kind of stuck out to me. Um, and then juniors, James Avizanto, uh, James Avizanto uh, is another junior coming back uh, that I really like at that attack spot. Um, I believe he was a Syracuse transfer, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, oh, Maryland transfer. Maryland transfer, not Syracuse. Maryland, um, believe. And he, oh, excuse me, that's Austin Stewart. Austin Stewart was a Maryland transfer, not Avizanto. Misreading my notes here. Um, Stewart, another guy, had a breakout year last year. Um, wasn't the best, but uh, you know he had one goal and eight assists. So wasn't like, and again, like Avizanto had nine points. John Mazla, who's now in the pros, had nine points. Stewart had nine points. McLean had 12 points. Like that's not an effective offense at all. But you look at what they did last year. A bit younger guys, Stewart and Avizanto. A year older, you get McQueen back. Um, Flamert comes back. You know, I think this is an offense that should be pretty solid. And then, you know, I literally just talked about Alex Woodall a second ago. And I'm going to talk about him again. Because that was the most significant issue with this team last year. They could not get possession. Their defense could not hold beyond the defense, which, like, if you... You can, and I've talked about this a lot, you can subsidize poor defense with good face-off play. You can't subsidize bad defense with bad face-off play. Like, it, 
it's just not possible. It's just not possible. Um, so I do think this is a the the problems that face off dot. I'm not exactly sure who they have, what they're gonna do. Um, but we'll see what the, what happens, what ends up happening there. I would expect them to be better at that spot. I'm not a hundred percent sure, um, but I do expect them to be better at that spot this year. Um, and then, you know, one guy I didn't mention here, another sophomore uh, from last year, uh, Mo Salah, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's kind of an LSM guy, uh, D guy. I think you should probably watch out for him on that uh, defensive end. Uh, used him more on the wings last year. See what he does this year. Um, this is So this is a, 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 a younger team that's maturing. To an extent, have a lot of guys coming back. We'll see how that mix uh, helps or hurts this Towson team in 2021. I happen to think it should help them, and they should be much better than they were last year. So last year they were looked abysmal. Uh, the last two teams here in the CAA that need to hit on, Hofstra. Solid offense. Ryan Tierney is the name you need to know uh, with Hofstra. They could certainly surprise. And, you know, Tierney coming back for a fifth year is obviously huge. They lose Eric Wins, who is their best, one, probably their best defenseman, transferred to Ohio State. So I do have a question uh, there on defense with them. But I think this possibly could be Tierney's best team since. Uh, Josh Byrne and those guys, but um, and I am very well aware of the conversations that Hofstra faithful have around uh, one Seth Tierney. You know, can't get over the hump, can't win the, you know, can't win the big ones. All of that stuff, I'm very aware of that. But uh, this could possibly be his best team uh, that he's had since that kind of Byrne era, I believe, if I'm uh, have my dates correct. Um, and then Fairfield. No, this is, and I'm not really, I don't know what to expect from Fairfield. They have not posted their 2021 roster as of recording this. So if they've done so by the time that this comes out, you know, feel free to go on there and check out what they got going on. But they haven't posted anything yet. Um, so I, I, I really don't know what to expect from this team. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent on who they're returning. I think they do return a few fifth year guys, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, I just know this is a team that's gotta be better than they were last year. Like their offense was strong. They had some younger pieces that are, are coming back that were pretty good last year. But, you know, outside of that, like, their, their defense was abysmal for the most part. You're giving up 16 goals. They averaged, I think it was like 16 goals a game given up. Now, losing 25 to 12 against uh, a really, really good Georgetown team does inflate your numbers overall. But, I mean, man, you've got to be better than that. Uh, Brian Rita, Taylor Stroh, uh, Bryce Ford. Sophomore, junior, freshman, looking at last year's roster, were three of the top uh, point getters. Dylan Beckwith is obviously the big name there. Is he, I don't, like, 
I'm not exactly sure if he's returning or not. I heard someone tell me he was, but then someone told me he wasn't. So, um, and they don't have a roster up. So I don't. I'm not exactly sure what to think of this team. Um, I do like Andrew Baxter. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he's in. Look, they went five and two last year. That's a pretty good record against who they played. I would call their win against Stony Brook an upset win, even though it was the first game of the season. Uh, they beat a, you know, decent teams uh, in Siena and Quinnipiac. Merrimax, their first year. LIU, same situation. They lost to Harvard and Georgetown, which I think both teams were better than them. But, you know, so we'll see what Fairfield does. Do they surprise? I, I don't know. I really just don't know what to expect with this team. So that's a little hitting on every team there. Um, I don't know why I snapped there. I did not need to do that. That That's a little hit, a little uh, info on every team. Obviously talked about some teams a bit more in depth than others, as I have done on uh, the podcast here in the past when we're talking about non-power teams. Now, getting into my final predictions for how things will finish here in the CAA. So here's my projected order of finish for the CAA. And this was a bit... It was difficult at the end. And like I I told you all before, this is a conference that I think the chunk in the middle is really big. I think UMass is far and away the best team. So UMass, I have a number one. Number two is Delaware. I I mentioned I think if anyone's going to compete with UMass, it's going to be Delaware. Number three, this one was the most difficult one. Because I knew Hofstra and Fairfield were going to be my five and six. Where do Towson and Drexel fit? I ended up going with Towson three and Drexel four. And I flip-flopped them back multiple times. Um, I think, I wouldn't say they're even, but I think they're pretty close to each other. Um, Towson, I give the edge just with Kobe Smith. I think having a top five player in any position needs to put you, talking nationally, needs to put you above the other teams in, like, in, in that situation where I think you're pretty even. I think having a guy like Kobe Smith puts them apart. Um, I you know Drexel probably, those, those, those places where Drexel probably is better than Towson face-off. I think their offense is better than Towson. I think Towson might have a better defense. Obviously, I think Kobe Smith is a top five defenseman in the country. Um, and you know Shane Brennan and Blumthal, you know how do they stack up against against each other? Um, I think Brennan might be a bit better than Blumthal, but you know we'll see um, how things go here in 2021 with these two teams um, and with the whole CAA. But that's how I ended up putting things. UMass, Delaware, Towson, Drexel, Hofstra, and Fairfield in that order. And look, as I said, you could flip-flop Drexel and Towson very, very easily. Um, It's going to be a fun year here 
in the CAA here in college lacrosse. As always, thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform y'all are listening to this episode on or listen to this podcast on. iTunes, Google, Spotify, and uh, multiple other uh, podcast platforms that uh, half of them I don't even know what the heck they are, but we're on there. Uh, So you can go check out the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on any of those platforms. You can find us on Twitter, at Lacrosse Bucket. Facebook, Instagram is the same as well, at Lacrosse Bucket. My personal Twitter, at Tanner underscore Dimling. If you have a question for the mailbag episode, which will be coming back this Sunday, taking a few weeks off of that, you can send that in uh, DM on any of those social media platforms. You can also uh, email contact at lacrossebucket.com. Again, thank you all for listening in. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you all on Thursday as we get ready to preview. What will we previewing on Thursday? Patriot League? Let's see. CAA? Ivy League? Oh, oh goodness. Got the Ivy League on Thursday. We will see you then.